Welcome to this special preview of the latest patrons-only episode of the Dispatches podcast. If you like what you hear and you want to listen to the rest of this episode, just head on over to patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia and become a patron with $5 or more per month. The link is found in the show notes below. In the meantime, please enjoy this preview. Triumph of the therapeutic was also the first glimpse of the polemical and anti-modernism that would characterise Reef's later work. Though he continued to affect a pose of scholarly detachment, he was clearly disturbed by the apparent victory of the Freudian worldview. As the social critic Norman O'Brown, a fan, said of the book, instead of souls, we have neuroses. Instead of sacraments, we have shows. I love that line, by the way. That is a great line. Instead of souls, we have neuroses. This is the new therapeutic that, that Freud gave us. And instead of sacraments, things that speak to invisible realities of a higher sacred order that we participate in, we have shows. This is very much, I think, uh, a perfect summation of the novel um, Brave New World. Great dystopia. One of the great dystopias. If you haven't read it, I'd highly recommend you read Brave New World. And this is very much a great summation of that. The notion of the human person as this um, mechanism of an ideology that's pleasure-centric, that's about self-gratification, which is a very Freudian thing. You know, you find your happiness and you won't be a savage. And uh, and also the whole notion of they, they go to the feelies <laughs> instead of the picture shows and they take the, the Soma drug to, you know, to keep themselves at an equilibrium and supposedly they've got this great civilised society. And, um, of course, you know, they look upon traditional society as, as savage and evil and, and uh, yeah, but it's not. It's a dystopia that they've built for themselves. But it's a it's a great uh, summation of that world. And what's interesting about Brave New World, uh, and this is why I think that although we have aspects of 1984 at play with us today, I think that um, that what we see with Brave New World is uh, Huxley's version of of, or I guess his vision of what the world, the future could look like. I think it's more accurate and prescient for us because. It's a, a, a dystopia that they've accepted thanks to their hedonism. You know, they like the idea of comfort and ease and sexual gratification, and so that's led them into a dystopia. Uh, it very much speaks to what this article is actually talking about, by the way. Reef's later work would prove reactionary, hermetic, and sparse. In 1973, he published Fellow Teachers, a germaid against the counterculture and what he considered to be the degradation of the quote-unquote sacred institution of the university. Uh, he's one of the forerunners who's highlighting what's coming, and it's only got worse. I imagine he'd be, probably be quite horrified by what it's become today. It won a handful of admirers, including Brown and George Steiner, but it was too strange for anything like mass appeal. So for the rest of us, the ordinary hoi polloi, you and I, uh, Reef subsequently retreated from public life for the remainder of his career. He taught, published little, and concentrated on research for a magnum opus in which he hoped to give a systematic account of his theory of human culture. He eventually abandoned the project and passed what he had completed over to former students. The results were finally published as the trilogy Sacred Order slash Social Order, in the first volume of which My Life Among the Death Works came out in 2006, the year of Reef's death. 
Thanks to the cryptic style in which it is written, Sacred Order slash Social Order is a tremendously difficult work to read. One critic compared it to chewing ball bearings every once in a while, there is a cherry. <laughs> that, that is a great piece of prose from that critic, whoever wrote that. Uh, in it, Reef does finally offer something like a schematic for his theory of culture, delivered in strange expository passages sandwiched in between his close readings of death works, the sociologist term for the modern works of art and literature, Joyce, Kafka, Nietzsche, etc. So they call them the death works, which have served to naturalise what he considered to be the therapeutic rebellion against authority. All societies in Reef's telling are sacred and that they point to an authority beyond themselves. Well, they used to anyway. The task of culture is to transliterate otherwise invisible sacred orders into their visible modalities, social orders. So in other words, how this thing might look at a practical level. What is it going to look like to have sacred beliefs and how might they be actually understood and lived out at the practical level of a society? This transliteration occurs by rendering the moral commandments given in advance by a culture's highest authority, God, in the case of the Jewish, Christian and Muslim civilization, the primitive vitality of nature in the case of the classical pagan civilization, so these prior sacred givers of moral laws, into terms that people can understand and internalize so as to regulate their behavior in line with their culture's conception of good and evil. So how do I actually practically live this out, like I said? Ensuring that this transliteration takes place is the task of the cultural elite, or what he called the officer class, who control both the character-forming institutions and the symbolic language through which commandments are expressed within the secular world. So, in other words, uh, for example, religious institutions uh, would, would suit this. The government, the courts, etc. Uh, are all part of this. Reef believed that the commandments of sacred authority always come originally and primarily in the form of interdicts or prohibitions. Thou shalt not sleep with your mother or covet your neighbor's wife, for example. No comes before yes, and no is the ultimate origin of culture. It is only by first restricting the legitimate range of behaviours, and in particular the expressions of instinct or libidinal energy. So libidinal, you know, your lust for whatever it might be, lust for power, lust for sex, uh, lust for food. That's what libidinal is meaning. Libidinal energy that cultures can be said to operate on their members. Culture is repression. So this is a really, really important point. Now, I would add to this and I would say that in the Christian vision of reality that you also need to understand the much bigger yes which informs the secondary no. Even though for Reef, like the no is an important, in other words, what he's saying is you put your fences up and the boundaries give you your culture. If you don't have the boundaries, you can't have a culture is what he's saying here. But the important thing I think from the Christian vision of reality is you also need to understand the why why do the boundaries exist? And that means understanding the yes, what it is we say yes to, that what it is to flourish as a human person, what it is to live a truly sacred and meaningful life. If you don't understand that, then those boundaries can just seem like pointless restrictions. So there's a like there's a beautiful dance 
that has to work here, I think, in order for a culture to stay connected to the no. And, and that, that means they need to understand why the no exists. And to do that, they need to understand what the yes is. And there needs to be a genuine flourishing of the yes in your society, I think, for the no to be sustained. Hopefully that makes sense, by the way. That might all sound very ethereal and weird, but hopefully it makes sense. Why did Reef consider repression primary? Well, as Antonius A.W. Zondervan explains in his excellent Sociology and the Sacred, Reef came to this idea through his study of Freud. In Freud's theory, repression is triggered when an idea is so intolerable or offensive that it would cause the conscious self, the ego, immense psychic distress to become conscious of it. But, Reef asked, intolerable or offensive to what? And that's a really good point. Initially, Freud might have answered to the superego, the part of our psyche that represents internalized social morality. But Reef pointed out, Freud later came to believe that repression was not merely a function of superego prohibitions, but could also be triggered by an unconscious part of the ego self. Reef thought Freud's admission of the existence of an unconscious ego repressing intolerable thoughts should revolutionise our understanding of the psyche. It means that the interdicts, the prohibitions, are not merely social morality, but are sunk so deeply into the structure of the self, to us as human persons is what he means there, as to effectively constitute it. They are what shape a formless mass of instincts into a person. They represent a primal, unconscious morality whose origin Reef traced to the sacred commandments at the heart of our culture's religious tradition. We can obey or transgress them, but never abolish them. Now, what he's actually getting at here, this is another way of describing natural law, that there are a set of truths about the human person and about our flourishing and behaviours that will harm us that are natural law truths. They don't depend on us believing them. They are not dependent on any one single religious tradition. So even if you're not a Christian or you're not a Muslim or whatever it might be that rules or governs your society, there are certain natural law truths that are baked into the very structure of the world in which we inhabit. It's not just blind matter in motion. And if we follow those natural law truths, we will flourish. If we fight them, we work against them, we do the opposite we will be diminished. We will be harmed as human persons. Here's a really simple example because what we're talking about morality here, but natural law applies in other areas as well. And this helps to explain what it would look like or what it means in the moral as well. Imagine this example. Uh, there's a natural law truth that if you climb up to the top of a 20-story building and jump off that building with no parachute, then you are not going to flourish. You are going to have a very quick end to your life. Right? But if you don't do stupid things like that, you are going to flourish. You're going to live a much longer life if you don't you know, jump off uh, you know, 20-foot cliffs without parachutes. Uh, you know, things like that. You, you, <laughs> the, 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 this is sort of very fundamental. I know it's a very rudimentary example, but that's that's the same principle would apply in morality. And by the way, I often uh, talk about this when I'm talking to groups about natural law. Here's another example to explain uh, how this isn't just a subjective or arbitrary thing. Imagine you jumped off a 20-story building and you had no parachute. And 
for some reason, you actually managed to survive. You got knocked around, but you survived. And so you jumped off a 20-story building. And on the way down, you uh, your fall was broken by several of those um, canvas awnings that people had out over the lower stories. Maybe there were some shops and things like that below. And so you hit those awnings, boom, 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 they sewed you down. And then finally, just by pure chance or you know whatever the case may be, you happened to land on a uh, in a shop or, or maybe a truck was pulled up outside full of mattresses, you know, on its way to the to the rubbish dump, and you landed on those mattresses, and then you you know plonked off there onto the ground, and and so you got broken bones, and you got hurt, and you got injured, but you survived. And then while you're in hospital, you meet the love of your life. She's a nurse there, and and uh, you know, well, he's a nurse there, and 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 whatever the case may be, and and you uh, get married, and you have kids, and you have this beautiful long life together, and you write a book about your experiences and how you you know you came to view the world differently because of this awful moment of jumping off a building, and the book becomes a bestseller, and you become rich beyond your wildest dreams, and you can settle down and have lots of babies, and and they get married and have kids of their own. You have lots of grandkids, and 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 they make a movie out of your story. And and you know you've got everything you need. You've got wealth. You've got comfort. You've got family. You've, you've got a full and beautiful life. And it all traces its genesis back to the fact that you jumped off a twenty-story building. That would not mean that jumping off twenty-story buildings is a good idea. That would mean that you managed to actually escape the natural consequences. You're flourishing. So just because you happen to flourish by doing that thing, it doesn't mean that it's a good thing to do that thing. You're flourishing was an accident. It was an unintended uh, and really you'd have to say probably quite a natural outcome to jumping off a 20-story building without a parachute. And and often in our culture, people do that though. They say, oh, but I did this. I slept with 200 people and then I met my wife and she'd slept with 200 people as well. And now we're happily married and life is good. And so therefore, sleeping with 200 people is not a bad thing at all. It can actually be a good thing for you. That That's not how that works. <laughs> The the good in your life did not come from the jumping off the 20-story building. The good in your life in that situation came from the events that happened after that. And uh, yeah, I think that's important to understand. So just that's a that's a total side note. But the point is that what he's talking about here in this article and what Reef's getting at is, is natural law. There are laws baked into the order of the world. And when we follow them, we actually flourish. And they're not dependent on any religious tradition at all. You could be a non-Christian. And recognize, for example, that life, human life, is a supreme good. And that if we work to actually nurture and protect and build meaningful community with other human lives, other human beings, we will all flourish. And that's better for us, for example, than the opposite, where we just wander around like barbarians, mindlessly and arbitrary, sort of, or in an arbitrary way, killing each other. All this may seem quite esoteric, but it is important for understanding Reef's account of therapeutic culture. The modern West, in his telling, is the first culture in history that has attempted to deny the legitimacy of the interdicts, the prohibitions, and to live without some form of sacred authority. Absolutely true, and I talk a lot about this on this podcast. Therapy is our means of getting away with this denial. I've also said that before. We're able to actually, I think Western society has collapsed. The reason that we don't realise it, and it hasn't done what ancient societies do when they collapse, just absolutely collapse into war and chaos and they end very quickly, is because we have money and therapeutic means. We have hedonism and lots of cash and comfort and technology that allows us to actually numb ourselves to the reality of what's going on in our society right now. The therapeutic ethos teaches us to overcome the guilt and shame, especially around sexuality, 
prompted by what we have come to regard as the unrealistic, unhealthy and oppressive moral prohibitions inherited from Christianity. But because, for Reef, these prohibitions are a core part of our psyche, therapeutic culture can only ever lead to their transgression or negation, never to their genuine overcoming. So in other words, it's natural law. You can't escape it, baby. It's like gravity. It's not that you jump off a building and then say, look, I'm flying because I want to fly. It doesn't work that way. You're still falling. He believed, for instance, that sexual liberation was seen as a positive ideal purely because it transgressed the inherited Christian virtue of chastity. It was good because it was the opposite of what our religion used to teach. It had no positive value in itself. And that's interesting because that is the modern take, right? You see this time and time again. This used to be held by former societies, or this used to be held by religious believers, or this is held by religious believers. It must be wrong and evil. Indeed, this is how Reef came to understand our culture war. He believed that the Western elite had abdicated its responsibility to continue transmitting moral commandments, instead embracing an ethic of liberation and transgression designed to free themselves from the too strict demands of the prohibitions. But because this culture shift had penetrated deeply only among elites, the result was a constant war between the officer class, remember those who have control of the institutions, and the population at large, who still clung to a basically traditional conception of the moral order. And I think we still see this playing out in all sorts of areas today. There's this big divide between the elites and the ordinary everyday people, right? We have, like right now with the trans extremism, you can see that ordinary everyday people who just get on with life and have kids and and get married and, and have jobs, do those mundane things, they are not looking at the emperor's nakedness and going, wow, his new clothes are amazing. The elites are doing that. They're like, look, it's this amazing. This is the best ideology ever. And ordinary people are going, what are you talking about? This is crazy. Don't do this to kids, right? Elite cultural output, both the modernist high art that Reef analysed and the pop culture of our own day, had become a series of, quote-unquote, deconversion therapies, attempting to train the lower classes out of their supposedly primitive superstitions, which in his telling were actually the vestiges of a sacred impulse towards transcendence. Thanks for listening to this preview of our patrons-only podcast. To unlock the full version of this episode, plus get access to over 12 hours of new and exclusive patrons-only content every single month, simply become a $5 monthly patron at patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia. The link is found in the show notes below. Don't forget, live by goodness, truth and beauty, not by lies, and I'll see you next time on The Dispatches.